Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to uh, Make Matriarchy Great Again, the 34 Circe Salon. And today... There there was a reason. I was... Oh, no! (laughs) I had had this on mute. We'll just leave this in. I had it on mute. I had this beautiful opening. And I'm sure now we're just going to hear dead silence for a few seconds before you come in. So Mm -hmm. this crack-efficient broadcast, as you can hear, is Ms. Dawn <laughs> Sam Alden. Hello, Dawn. <laughs> Hello, Sean. Hello. You know, if you're going to do something special, you do have to let me know beforehand. <laughs> and the, I, yeah, it's so funny. I was I was talking and then I re- suddenly when I heard you, I realized, you know what? No one can hear me. <laughs> Which is like an old, probably... Zen question. If I speak into the microphone and no one hears, did I actually Am I say on anything? mute? Yes. Right. Am I on mute? Did, All right. <laughs> did you actually say anything? Okay, so uh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> but I'm ching. Got my room shut. Welcome. <laughs> this is our Warrior Woman episode led by our own Warrior Woman, Dawn Samalden. <laughs> Dawn, who shall we hear about today? Whom shall we well, hear? I am super excited uh, today to be talking about Rani Lakshmi Bai of Jhansi, also known as the Warrior Queen of Jhansi. And uh, I think we've mentioned her sort of in passing. We have. In, we yeah, have. in previous, uh, previous podcast episodes about warrior women. But... Um, but we're, I would love to do a little, I'm, I'm excited that we're doing a little spotlight on her because, um, because she's terrific. Yeah, she is. Now, a couple of things. First, where is John C? Where is she from? Uh, well, um, she, uh, well, John C is in the uh, Uttar Pradesh uh, section of India, which is sort of the northern central mm-hmm. section of India. And, um, but she was not born there. She was born um, a little ways off um, to a Brahmin family, a high caste Brahmin family. Mm -hmm. And she was born in 1827 and her birth name is Manakarnika, Manikarnika. Um, Her family called her Manu, which I think is adorable. Um, So as a high caste child she was educated in um in you know reading and writing and uh, uh, mathematics and all that sort of thing but she was also educated in horsemanship fencing and shooting what time period is this when is this 1827 is when she was born yeah all right so we're talking 19th century india Mm -hmm. uh and there was uh there was another power in that country at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, there was. Okay. There was. But we will get to that. All right. Yes. Um, so in 1842, which, if you do the math, means she was 15 years old. 
she became the second wife of a childless Raja, the Raja of Jhansi, um, whose name, and pardon me if I massacre this, it was uh, Gangadhar Rao Niwalkar. And um, he was, his, his sort of um, short name is Rao. They just use Rao when they talk about him. So okay. when she became his wife, she was renamed Lakshmi Bai, which is how we know her. So Rani is not a name, it's a title. As he oh, is the okay. Raja, as he is the Raja, which, you know, means the leader or the king or the governor, I guess. She is the Rani. That's interesting to know. Okay, good. Yeah. And I was going to, you know, I meant to, we talked about this earlier, I meant to ask you, what is the big idea you would like the listener to take from our conversation about Ronnie today? What would be the big idea? <laughs> oh, I have so missed that sound effect. Um, the big idea is that you, I think, anyway, this is my interpretation of it, is that... Um, you do what you need to do to survive. Hmm. Okay. Say more. What? How does that play into to Ronnie? What is that? What about her? That well, she, as as we will see, um, she was sort of put into these circumstances. Um, you know, history probably is pretty conflicted on how enthusiastic a participant she was in becoming a Ronnie. Um, because at 15, you know, she probably was not thinking, I want to marry a really old guy. And, and uh, 15 year old girl doesn't think that, Dawn. I mean, don't all schoolgirls think about marrying old men? Oh, wow. God, yeah. I hope not. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, um, some, that's some horrible uh, film producer's dream. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Anyway. Yeah. So. Um, you know, she she adapted to her circumstances, circumstances that were in many cases beyond her control. Um, you know, she couldn't control the fact that her country was being slowly annexed by the British East India Company. She probably didn't have much say at all in her arranged marriage. Um, she couldn't uh, she couldn't give her husband heirs. Uh, at least no heirs that lived. They did have one son um, a couple of years after she was married, uh, mm -hmm. nine years actually after she was married. Um, but he died uh, when he was four months old. So, um, well, you know. a couple of things I want to ask you in there because now mm -hmm. that's an interesting part. So, you say colonized by the British East India Company. What mm -hmm. distinction are you making between the British Crown, or or are you? Uh, and the British East India Company. What what about this colonization, this way of colonizing, led you to specifically point out the British East India Company rather than simply saying by Great Britain? <laughs> Siri, tell Sean about the East India Company. <laughs> yes, let's hear about it. Let's let's. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the British East um, India Company. Well, you're going to have to talk about it then, because I did research on Ronnie of Jhansi, not on the British East India Company. We'll come back to the British East India Company, <laughs> mercantilism and the pattern by which England colonized its nations in a later broadcast. 
But let's just say I think the British colonial the British colonial philosophy was very singular in its approach to making sure that the expansion of British power was always, always accompanied by or benefited specifically the expansion of British trade and, of course, British wealth. So I guess the sun never set on the British Empire nor on its coffers. So there you go. Anyhow, so now Ronnie, you say also couldn't, did not produce an ear. Do you think that had some impact on, what, what impact did it, do you know that it may have had on her relationship with the king, just her personality? Is there anything that you picked up in your reading? You know, uh, uh, again, this is something that is, I am, I am sure, open to interpretation based on the historian that chooses to tell the tale because... Um, a couple of the sources that I read were completely silent on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another source I read said that, you know, her forceful personality quickly took over, uh, you know, for her for over from her weak willed husband. Um, but, you know, again, she's 15 years old when she marries him. Right. So undaunted warriors that we are, we're back from yet another tech issue, but oh, you know, they can't my. stop us. They can never stop the warrior queen, Dawn Sam Alden. So Dawn, pick it up where you were with Ronnie. Freaking technology. It's such a blessing, isn't it? Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, what we were saying third time's a charm is that, um, is that the relationship, you know, the interpersonal relationship between the two of, of these People is really a matter of the, you know, the, the historian who is telling the tale tends to color the relationship with their own viewpoint. I've had a couple of sources that say that, you know, that we're silent on the matter, that just sort of just the facts, ma'am. And uh, then there's one historian that that says that, you know, her powerful nature quickly overcame her, her milk toast husband or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, I, I will just point out once again that she was 15 years old when she married this man who was had already gone through a first wife. And uh, so, you know, the power dynamic between the two of them was clearly in his favor. I think it's interesting. I think we could have a whole podcast and we really have to think about this on just how historians and archaeologists approach and handle anything that has to do with warrior women, female power, warrior queens. I mean, we're doing it with War Against the Goddess a little bit, but this, I think we can almost just have a humorous segment on how freaked out people get, because clearly if she was a warrior woman, he had to be a punk, because no real Raja would let his wife go out. (laughs) Go out and train on fencing and shooting. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So she overcame her milquetoast husband. Right. So clearly the problem was with him, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah we, we know that on the Make Matriarchy Great Again podcast. If, if there's power in a place and women have it, clearly there's a problem with the men folk. So we just right. have to go with that. Right. Anyhow. Right. So, so, so she, she's 15. She, be, yes. she gets into this. So uh, back to our Lakshmi Bai. They have one son. Um, 
and uh, he dies at four months. So they are unable to um, to produce a you know a, a biological heir. Um, however, it was a common practice at the time uh, that if a biological heir was not produced, or the biological heir I would imagine was not suitable, that um, that the royal couple could adopt an heir. And uh, and that person would, you know, be considered their legitimate son and legitimate heir. So in 1853, um, Rao falls seriously ill and um, that spurs them to officially adopt um, a distant cousin uh, who is five years old as their heir. Um, both both Rao and the Raja that he succeeded were adopted heirs of royal couples. So again, this was a common practice. And um, so it's a good thing that he went ahead and did that because the day after the adoption was finalized and his will was finalized, um, you know, claiming his uh, this cousin as his heir and and Rani Lakshmi Bai as regent. Um, the day after those two documents were finalized, he died. So she is now regent officially. She is now officially regent of this five-year-old boy. But the East India Company, the British East in India Company, controlled that region of India. Um, so they they send these papers or they show these papers to um, the company rep, uh, Major John Malcolm, and say, you know, I, I'm you know, this is this is all well and proper. So you don't need to do anything. Um, anything. We'll do, we've got this. It's fine. Um but unfortunately, uh, Major John Malcolm was not um, was not the final arbiter of this. So he sent the information along to Governor General James Andrew Brown Ramsey, the first Marquess of Dalhousie. This just sounds like the most abominable structure the combination of a corporation and a just and a you know a, and a military yeah military regime it's just i can't think of anything it's it's like if t-mobile had an army yes and, exactly and, and exactly. you had to go get like your, your your cell phone coverage changed and first had to talk to the rep but then the rep had to check with the colonel at the local outpost. Right. This is just, yeah. oh and, my God. And anyway. if the colonel decided that you, you didn't get to change your rep, he annexed your house. Yeah. It's just <laughs> like, this is, this is what I was saying to you before we started. This is the, right. this is the very construct that we have to a certain extent in America. It's sort of our mindset that we've kind of inherited, even though of course this occurs after America has already existed we are mm -hmm. still the heirs to the English heritage. And it's just this very combination of powerful corporations. I mean, I feel like that's what we're existing in now. But anyway, that's for another discussion. So the right. so the T-Mobile right. uh, Amazon Google Army exactly. uh, was, was, was appealed to 
to allow, you know, Ronnie to reign as regent for her five-year-old adopted son. And, uh, you know, in the letter, Malcolm, uh, Major John Malcolm uh, says that she is a woman highly respected and esteemed, and I believe fully capable of doing justice to such a charge. So, you know, he was on her side. Okay. But our Marquess of Dalhousie, however, um, decides, no, he's going to evoke the doctrine of lapse. So the doctrine of lapse mm-hmm. says that, and, and this was a British doctrine here, says that uh, they could place any sovereign Indian state as a vassal state under British rule through the East, British rule through the East India Company. So um, often charges of quote unquote mismanagement would be uh, by the by these sovereign Indian states would be used as an excuse to invoke the doctrine of lapse and annex those states under British as British territory. So the British had already exercised the quote unquote right to recognize or not the monarchical succession in Indian states, very similar to what the Romans did with um, Bodicea, mm-hmm. um, with Boudicca, that, you know, she asked, you know, she said, I want to keep half of my husband's territory and rule now that he's dead. And the Romans were like, nah, we don't think so. And um, again, I always find this interesting. I mean, find these patterns because we were talking about the patterns of the Spanish and Portuguese colonialism, and they had been colonized by the Moors and had the uh, similar colonial experience. Britain, the ancestral Britons, were colonized by the Romans, just like you say, and now yeah. are repeating history, but in reverse. Now, not having having lost that least cultural awareness, perhaps, of that issue, yeah. not historical awareness i'm sure that of course at that point they all knew who Boudicca was but they were repeating it but in a different role now yeah yeah yep so dalhousie claimed that if the adoption of an heir was not ratified by the government that the state would pass to the british and what a surprise dalhousie decides not to recognize the adoption declares john c annex and sends um, a military commander to take control of Jhansi under the doctrine of lapse. Um, this happens. Rani is allowed, uh, Rani Lakshmi Bai is allowed to keep her palace, but just as a residence. She is allowed and she's given an annual salary of 5,000 rupees, um, from which, however, she was supposed to pay off all of her husband's debts. Um, and um, the adopted son was allowed to be considered the heir of this property, but not of the state. So Ronnie initially protests this, Ronnie of Jhansi initially protests this through formal petitions. So she tries to do it the British way. And for three years, she sends petition after petition after petition to appeal this ruling And, of course, every one of these appeals is rejected. So who knows how long this would have continued with her, you know, trying to use legal methods to regain um, her rightful rulership of Jhansi. Um, But in 1857, 
there was uh, something called the Indian Mutiny. And this started um, by, they're called sepoys, uh, which were the name that were given to Indian soldiers who were working in the East India Company's army. Mm -hmm. So in 1857, a group of sepoys uh, mutinied for various reasons, um, most of them about their treatment in the British army and that their um, religious, cultural um, ways of life were essentially being ignored and slighted by the British. Um, these were both Hindus and Muslims, and um, there was this perception and, you know, may very well have been the reality um, that uh, that the British were trying to get them to convert to Christianity and to give up not only their religious heritage, but their cultural heritages as well. So, so, so you mean the, the belief that possibly a colonial power was trying to force a colonized people to Abandon their, uh, their culture. Their culture, exactly. And I know it's accord with the colonial empowered. Yeah, that's just. I've I, never heard of such a thing I before. Know, it's so weird. I mean, who, <laughs> who would have expected that? Yeah, they usually come in. They're so understanding of the people mm. that they conquer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway. So okay. Yeah. So so not surprisingly, uh, the sepoys um, mutinied. And uh, at first, it started out just as a military mutiny, but um, but immediately the Indian leaders, whose power had been taken by the British, um, you know, joined up, and the disorganized mutiny became an organized resistance movement. Mm-hmm. So while the British were occupied with that in a different region of India, they sort of left. Rani Lakshmi Bai alone. And she began, although she didn't immediately join the rebellion, she did begin to reassert her leadership over her territory in small ways. Um, She started, there are a couple of recorded skirmishes, local skirmishes where she led troops against local groups that were starting to infringe on her territory. Mm -hmm. So she was starting to act like the leader of the independent state of Jhansi. So let's take a moment since she's now starting to actually fight as a warrior woman in battle. Let's take a moment to review her training. So she was, as we mentioned, you know, up until the time that she was 15, um, when she was married, she had already been educated in horsemanship, fencing and shooting. Mm -hmm. So, she kept her daily military practice, her martial arts training, rather secret, which makes sense in many ways because she's in an occupied country. And um, if she was to be caught training in military exercises, that might not be too um, too well looked upon by uh, her British um, colonizers. But um, but one of the um, one of the sort of uh, people in her stable, her her horse masters, mm-hmm. um, was privy to her training and said that her daily practice included riding, 
sword fighting and archery, and she was primarily concerned with uh, training in martial arts on horseback because she knew that that is how she would be fighting, and that she would train with a sword in each hand and the reins of the horse in her teeth. Wow. Yeah. Um, so by the time it, it, by when it came time for her to use these martial arts, she was, she was clearly a well-trained warrior. And apparently based on, you know, what people said from here on, um, she had apparently studied, uh, military tactics as well, because she was apparently a brilliant military commander. How old was she now when she starts her battle, when she steps into the fray? Well, uh, the Indian mutiny was in 1857, which was, um, ex- she was exactly 30 at that point. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, for the last 15 years, she'd, she'd grown up and trained quite a bit. Um, so as I said, although she had cause, she did not begin Jhansi's fight against the British. Um, because of this, um, because of this resistance, the sepoys that were occupying, um, that were part of the occupying British forces in Jhansi, they mutinied. And uh, they not only killed the British soldiers, but they also, uh, they kind of went a little nuts and they um, killed the families, the wives and children, um, any British person that was living in Jhansi. Um, they basically massacred them. Much and, like Boudicca's massacre, interestingly enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but as well, they also turned against Rani and they uh, threatened to uh, blow up her palace with her in it if wow. she didn't give them access to money and weaponry. So they threatened her as well. Um, now she acquiesced and she gave them uh, weapons and money. And for six days, um, they basically rampaged freely around Johnsy doing whatever the hell they wanted before they finally left to go to Delhi to join um, the more official uh, area of the resistance movement. So well, this, does does the record say anything about why they turned on her? Why they didn't embrace her? Was there? Well, was you know, known? she had Maybe been. I, I would. Yeah, the record doesn't say any of that. They don't. They don't. Uh, they don't have the mutineers' point of view in the official record. Um, but you know, one would imagine that she had been. She was probably seen as a collaborator at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. although the she had been protesting vociferously um, the British decision. She had not actually mutinied. Mm-hmm. Um, she was trying to do it, you know, the, the legal and proper way. Which is, you know, it says something of, or it says something of the faith I think human beings have in systems of law, their belief that those laws will apply to them as well as the laws are applied to all other people under a system. And of course the awareness as we've all learned over the decades of history since uh, Ronnie's time is that 
laws aren't applied equally to everyone in many, many different systems. No matter how just those laws are applied to yeah. certain people, they may not be justly applied to all. Yeah. And, you know, we're going through a time period right now where that is once again coming to the fore with uh, the Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, mm. it is it is blatantly obvious to anyone who will look at this point that black people and white people in this country do not receive equal access to justice. So, well, yeah. In our colonial system, it would not be different at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, um, the Ronnie is seen by the British forces of, as having been complicit with the mutiny, even though she protests that, you know, they threatened her as well. She's damned if she does and damned if she doesn't here. Um, so the British don't, don't listen to what, you know, her accounting of events and they say, all right, that's it. You know, we're going to march against Johnson and we're going to properly take it over and put a British, um, you know, we're going to kill her, execute her as a, as a rebel leader and, um, and, you know, put the British in control the way it should have been from the beginning. So the Rani hears that there are British forces on the way and she's like, all right, then if that's what they say I am, I might as well be that. So she, finally um, decides to be a rebel proper, although there is some correspondence back and forth between the British where she was still claiming, I think, a month into their the British preparations that as soon as the British got there, she would be happy to turn over John C. to them. Um, but meanwhile, she was raising 14,000 troops and fortifying John C.'s defenses. Um, you know, she's not stupid. She's going to make sure that she comes out of this on top for once. Right. It's, it's, it's a month in and she's going to do that. I mean, it's just, yeah, she's covering a lot of different angles. She's going to cover her bases. Exactly. Exactly. So in March, um, the British forces arrived and surrounded Johnson and laid siege to it. Um, and, uh, and attacked. And the Rani had, you know, raised these 14,000 troops, but she also organized um, the people of Jhansi as well. In fact, uh, British describe watching the women of the city um, firing batteries, carrying ammunition, and uh, springing into the gaps uh, when a man fell on the battlements. So in the midst of it all, uh, you know, women and men are uh, of the city, soldiers and and uh, non-soldiers are fighting side by side mm-hmm. to protect. And, you know, in the midst of it all, uh, the Rani was there, her banner flying proudly. And, you know, she was there on the walls fighting alongside with her troops. So she is now, she, you know, and, and I love that historians... Even now, one of their primary concerns is talking about what women were wearing because they made, you know, they made. What did the well dressed rebel wear? Exactly. So, 
Indeed. So they take take, you know, special pains to note that she had she had put away her saris and had donned a costume that she designed herself with um, that con- consisted of riding jodfers and uh, a silk blouse with um, a red turban on her head, a red silk turban, and her hands adorned with gold and wrists adorned with gold rings and bracelets. Uh, a sword with a jewel-encrusted scabbard hung at her hip and two silver pistols rested in her sash. And so, welcome to Johnny Fashion Week. Here we are on the <laughs> runway. We have Ronnie. Ronnie is wearing her latest in Rebel fashion. She's got jodhpurs and beautiful leather boots. She has a lovely red jacket. Johnny, everyone. No, no, no. A Ronnie, silk everyone. blouse. A silk, silk blouse. Yeah. No, I'm but giving a red her a whole... turban. You're giving her a whole outfit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's Johnny Fashion Week for the Rebels. Yeah, okay. Nice, nice. But you know, she must have cut a pretty, pretty dashing figure in her uh, in her red silk turban. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they uh, they defended Jhansi as well as they were able. Um, but at some point in the siege, uh, it became clear that Jhansi would fall; that they were not going to be able to resist the British forces. So the Rani straps her now 10-year-old son to her back and, and flees, flees Jhansi mm-hmm. so that she can raise more forces and come back and recapture it. Um, one of the historians say that, um, that she was not, uh, that she was pursued and that, um, she was a better rider and outdistanced all but one soldier, a Lieutenant Boker, who apparently must have given, um, given testimony of this for it to be in, uh, for it to be in the records. But, um, she's, she apparently fought with him, uh, with swords. He over, he, you know, he, he, he caught up with her and the two of them fought with swords at a crossroads where she had stopped for nourishment, um, but she disabled uh, the lieutenant and continued on to Kalpi, uh, ultimately traveling over 100 miles in a 24-hour period. So she rode hard. Yeah, that's pretty astonishing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she was welcomed as a hero uh, in Kalpi, as a member of the resistance and a hero. And um, and she joined the various army, the armies of the various Indian nobles who had joined the rebellion. Um, she led troops in the rebellion and uh, took British fortress, the excuse me, the British fortress at Gwalior, um, which was apparently um, very heartening to the rebels, an enormous morale boost, and she was credited with. Um, you know, being one of the primary forces in that in those battles, um, the rebel commander Rao Sahib presented Rani Lakshmi Bai with a fabulous pearl necklace that had been liberated from the treasury at Gwalior as a token of gratitude for her work in making this uh, victory possible. Um, and shortly thereafter, the Rani led a successful defense of Kalpi against the British. 
uh, when uh, the military commander that was installed there was away uh, raising new troops. So he left her in control of um, keeping uh, Gwalior safe in rebel hands. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that battle cost her her life because on um, on June 15, 1859, the morning of the final British attack against Gwalior, she dressed in her in her wonderful costume, belted on her swords and her pistols, rallied her soldiers with the parting words, if killed in battle, we enter heaven, and if victorious, we rule the earth. She fought on foot and on horseback, moving fearlessly into the breaches um, in the walls to stop the onslaught of the British infantry. And sometime during the second day of that battle, she was shot in the back when she turned around to face um, the English soldier who shot her um, and shoot him back. Uh, he ran her through with a sword and she was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, she was taken into back into the fortress by her troops. They, you know, they grabbed her body and brought her into the, the fortress um, as she was dying and legend says that she took the female, the famous, you know, necklace off of her neck and distributed the pearls one by one to her soldiers um, in thanks for their service. And, uh, and the English said, uh, the squadron commander of that attack said that in her death, the rebels lost their bravest and best military leader. Amazing story. It's a beautiful image at the end, too, and an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. And Ronnie of Jhansi has has gone on to become a folk hero um, in uh, Indian society and has been the subject of many movies and um, and uh, co- there's even a comic book series about her, graphic novels, songs, poems. So she is well celebrated and remembered in India. Um, and rec- in fact, there was a recent movie, uh, 2019, there was a movie, movie called um, The Warrior Queen uh, Rani of Jhansi. So um, she is, you know, her legend lives on which is wonderful because so many of our women warriors, you know, are, are buried in history and forgotten, but uh, she, um, she was remembered. This, and, and what's fortunate too, is she is more recent than some of the, the warrior women we have talked about. So the records are still there and uh, the yes. manner of keeping records at that time had obviously progressed. The, the need, the understanding of keeping records of things so that's one benefit we have of this particular story and also we have the fact that the uh, you know india finally did win its independence from britain and so she is you know written into history as um you know one of the the rebels that helped restore indian independence if the british were still in control of india i doubt we would hear as much about her (laughs) Yeah, I was, it was interesting as you were saying this, I was thinking that within a century from this battle, the British Empire would be no more. So right. it's it's a very, these kinds of things, these 
typically men who create these empires and this great conquest, these things don't last forever. And I think, well, this is for another discussion. We're in a time where other kinds of empires are being built, but none of these things go on forever. But it's particularly interesting that the British one was so vast, yet burned so bright and so fast and consumed itself quickly. Uh, and for the people of India, that worked out absolutely for the best for them. Worked out much better for them, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what would you, in closing, what would you give as your one more thing? Oops, I just tried to play our ding-ding. So we're going to imagine the ding-ding file happened, but uh, <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. All right, we're back, and here we go. There All right, you there go. There you go. Now, Yay. After all, all of our tech issues. <laughs> all is forgiven. Yeah. So what's the one more thing you'd like to leave us with about the great Ronnie? Well, I think it's what we were talking about that, you know, the reason we have the story of Ronnie is because of a certain set of circumstances that it happened, you know, that she was fighting against a group that kept good records of their battles, that it was in the 19th century. So it was fairly recent in terms of, you know, the full arc of history and that um, her side eventually won, and that she is celebrated as one of the people that participated with that in that win. So that is why we have her story in such completeness. Think about all of the female military commanders throughout history that did not have that particular set of circumstances, mm -hmm. and so have been written out of the books instead of written into them. Well put, well put. I think that is the perfect place for which to leave us. I want to thank, as always, our warrior queen uh, in-house, Dawn <laughs> Sam Alden. Thank you, Dawn. You may, you may call me the Ronnie of Burbank. The Ronnie of Burbank, yes. <laughs> when will Burbank finally be liberated from the rest of L.A. County? Um, <laughs> And I am Sean Marlon-Ukam. I, again, thank you all for listening. Please be sure to go to your podcast platforms and rate us and leave your comments. It helps get our podcast out there further. And being, so we'll be able to share more of these stories of warrior women, queens, other figures in matriarchy. And thank you for listening. This has been the 34 Circe Salon. Make matriarchy great again. Take care. Take care, everyone. And blessed be.